Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're finding out the science-backed secrets to sleeping better, learning how to be more charismatic at work and in your social life, or overcoming fears of flying. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today, we are back with a brand new edition of our popular Ask the Doctor series. We have asked the doctors for anxiety, longevity, hormone health, gut health, and so much more, and this one is highly requested. The idea is basically that there are these amazing functional doctors out there, but they're often impossible to get appointments with or really expensive. I have them on the podcast, and I ask them as many of our questions as possible to make all of their amazing knowledge as widely accessible as possible. And today, we are busting skincare myths. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Whitney Bow to the podcast. Dr. Bow is a renowned New York-based dermatologist, in addition to being a distinguished research scientist and a thought leader in her field. She's the author of the best-selling book, The Beauty of Dirty Skin, and has been featured as an expert by Good Morning America, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Allure, InStyle, Vogue, and many, many more outlets. She is also the founder of Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty, a unique skincare brand that was created to make skin glow from the outside in and the inside out. I've actually been testing both her internal product, which you add to water, and her Bow Glow moisturizer for the past few months, and I am honestly so impressed. We actually have an amazing, amazing giveaway for this episode where three winners will win a bundle of both products, so definitely stay tuned till the end to find out how to enter. Trust me, you are going to want to get your hands on these. There is so much skincare info going around on social media and from people trying to sell products that it can be hard to know where the science actually lands. Dr. Bo has a huge research background, and she did not mess around when it came to sharing what's effective and what's pretty much BS. She gives her expert take on red light therapy, face shaving or dermaplaning, consuming collagen, ice rollers, and so much more. Dr. Bo, I'm such a fan. I already told you I'm drinking your Bo Glow right now, so I am hydrated and glowy and ready to podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. I love it. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm also a mutual fan. I'm a listener, and I follow you on social, and I love everything that you stand for. It is truly an honor to be here today. I want to get right into this. I have so many skincare myths that I want you to debunk or validate. Some of them might be legitimate and true, and I don't want to stand in the way of that, but there's just so much information and misinformation swirling around the skincare world, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. So let's just jump right in. How about at-home red light therapy? Does that actually do anything for your skin? So red light, usually it comes in a mask that's called an LED mask. And it usually has more lights than just red. But let's talk about red. Red light actually is universally beneficial for pretty much everyone when it comes to your skin. What red light does is it actually penetrates the deeper layers of your skin and it can stimulate your collagen production. It actually stimulates cells called fibroblasts to pump out more collagen. Is Mm. it doing that in a way that's going to like lift your skin, give you a facelift effect? No, but if you do use it consistently over time, it can actually help keep the skin firm. It can help with fine lines Mm. and wrinkles. That is beneficial. The red light can also be anti-inflammatory if you struggle with inflammatory acne. So I'm not talking about blackheads, whiteheads, 
I'm talking about more of those sort of red inflamed tender types of acne. Actually, red light can be helpful for that. It has an anti-inflammatory effect. Now, the catch is, is that a lot of these light devices that you'll buy at home, you can switch between different colors, right? So you can also switch to blue light, which is usually recommended for acne prone skin. But the problem with blue light is that it can lead to hyperpigmentation or dark spots. So if you're somebody who, if you get an acne spot, it goes away and it's left with a dark mark, and then you're using one of those blue masks, the blue light masks, it's going to make that dark mark darker and then make it last longer. Or if you're somebody who has something called melasma, a lot of my patients struggle with melasma. Melasma is, we also call it like the mask of pregnancy, but you don't have to be pregnant to get melasma. It almost looks like somebody took paint and like splattered it on your face. You can have melasma on the upper cheeks. Some people have it as a mustache, like on the upper lip, they think it's hair, but it's actually melasma. It's just a stain on their skin. And unfortunately, blue light can also make that worse. Now, the red light that we talked about before, if it's creating heat, if you feel heat, that can also lead to hyperpigmentation. If you've got the red light device on and you're blocking your eyes, which you should, you should not feel heat. If you're feeling the heat and you're prone to hyperpigmentation, especially people with skin of color are more prone to dark spots and hyperpigmentation, that heat is a sign that it could be making your hyperpigmentation worse and you want to turn off that device. So with the red light, is there a minimum dose we should be looking for to get actual results? Do we need to be doing 20 minutes a day, five times a week? A lot of these at-home devices, in order to get FDA approved, they don't have to show tremendous efficacy. They really have to demonstrate safety. When it comes to efficacy of these devices, when you're talking about how these at-home devices compare to, say, something that I'm doing in the office with an actual laser the efficacy is going to be much, much, much lower. And unfortunately, you're really sort of depending on the brand to do their own internal testing to make sure that it is effective. And there's a lot of marketing hype surrounding a lot of these devices. I'm just being totally honest. The science behind red light being beneficial is not necessarily with a lot of these at-home devices. It's with red light that we're seeing in the office. Can you extrapolate that and say, are you potentially getting some benefits at home? Potentially, have I seen really robust clinical testing protocols done by these at-home light devices that I'm like, wow, I buy into this. This I definitely like stamp of approval. It's worth the $300. Go for yeah. it. I haven't seen it, to be honest. I wish I could give you like a definitive, this is the fluid, so this is the energy, and this is the timing. And it's really not that clear cut in terms of these at-home devices. It's more like, do you have the time? Do you have the energy? If you personally are seeing a result after you do it consistently for a couple of weeks, then you have to make a decision if it's worth adding to your skincare routine. I also get nervous about the mask ones because there's the panel red lights and you can put on your protective eyewear goggles and like sit in front of them. But the mask ones... I get nervous that they're messing up your eyes in some way because the light's so right there. I know you're not like an optometrist, but do you have a take on a best type if you want to try it? Yeah. I mean, I think that if it feels really bright through your eyelids, I would probably say that you want to use an extra layer of protection. A lot of the lights actually have like cutouts where you can see so that you can multitask. Like that's the whole point of those masks is you don't have to just sit there and you can actually walk around your house. It's very, very tempting to keep your eyes open and like get chores done while you're masking. And I think that that's a slippery slope because we know that that exposure can damage the eyes. I would say err on the side of caution. And if you feel like there's a lot of brightness that's even penetrating through your eyelids, you may want to give it like an extra layer and use some of those opaque goggles that when we do lasers in the office, some lasers, we will actually use another layer of protection just to make sure that the patient's eyes are completely protected. 
And then I know there hasn't been a lot of research on this, but there's also the red lights where you're sort of moving a wand or a device around your skin rather than having penetrative action. Do you feel like if you're moving a device around, you're getting enough contact, enough light to actually make a difference at all? Yeah. I mean, if you devote half of your day, (laughs) think about how much time you have to spend to make sure that you're covering all of the surface area of your face. Do I think that those are gimmicky and less expensive? Sure. Say that you're treating a spot treatment. Like say we talked about before, and sometimes red light can help with inflammation. If you have an inflammatory lesion, like a really big pimple on your nose, and you want to use a little concentrated wand and hover it over that one spot, that makes sense. If you're looking to get more global effects in your skin, I think it's completely impractical to sit there and like rotate it around your face. (laughs) Okay. Next one, face shaving. Is face shaving the key to smooth skin and like that sort of glowy poreless look or is it potentially disrupting our barrier layer or is it something in between? Love that question. There's sort of an overlap a little bit between face shaving and dermaplaning. Dermaplaning is sort of a deeper level of face shaving with a one single blade that actually goes a little bit deeper because when you use a razor, you have those razor guards that sort of are a little bit more protective. Most people, when they talk about face shaving are actually dermaplaning with that single blade. So let's talk about that. Dermaplaning is basically removing what are called vellus hairs. They're those little fine, tiny hairs that are on your face and they can be on your upper lip. They can be on your cheek. And so it removes that hair, but it also removes the very uppermost layer of your skin called the stratum corneum. So it's actually a form of physical or mechanical exfoliation. It's very sort of technique dependent, right? Because some people are going to use light feathery strokes and then other people are going to go a little bit more deep. And I've seen nicks and I've seen cuts and I've seen major disruption of the skin barrier when people are not very even handed with it. You have to be really careful with it. The other thing to think about is that you really don't want to be dermaplaning very frequently. If you're going to be doing it, you want to be doing it like every one to three weeks max because you can dramatically disrupt your skin barrier. Your skin barrier is so important to your overall skin health. A healthy skin barrier traps moisture and hydration. It keeps it in. And it also protects your skin from all the allergens, irritants, pollutants, like all the badness that isn't supposed to penetrate into your skin and trigger inflammation in your skin. So your skin barrier has to be intact and your skin barrier is super complicated. It has to do with your microbiome. It has to do with healthy fats in your skin. It has to do with the pH of your skin, but it also has to do with that layer of dead skin cells called the stratum corneum. Now, when you gently sort of exfoliate using, I love chemical exfoliants, meaning I love a chemical exfoliant that has a blend of alpha hydroxy acids, beta hydroxy acids, polyhydroxy acids. And I recommend skin cycling, meaning you're not doing that every single night, but like every fourth night, you should be using an exfoliating serum that has those chemical exfoliates. I am not a fan of physical exfoliation. Manual exfoliation and physical exfoliation do more harm than good. In my opinion, I see a lot more issues with the skin barrier where people are literally disrupting and damaging Mm. their skin barrier. But I understand that there is this like very special benefit to dermaplaning when it comes to the vellus hairs. Like some people... They'll wax and they get breakouts and irritation and ingrown hairs. They'll pluck or thread and they'll get inflammation and ingrown hairs. And they hate those vellus hairs. It's like that peach fuzz. If you can sort of embrace your peach fuzz and just go with it, good for you because your skin barrier is going to be healthy. Put away the magnifying mirror. But if you're one of those people who just cannot stand that peach fuzz, it drives you insane that I get the appeal of dermaplaning. Do I recommend dermaplaning for the exfoliating benefits? Hell no. Okay. Do I recommend it for getting rid of that vellus hair? And is there a least damaging way to incorporate it into your skincare routine? Yes. 
light feathery strokes every one to three weeks. If you have active acne, do not dermaplane. I see so many TikToks where people are like, this will get rid of acne and acne scars. I'm thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, I had literally goosebumps watching I've seen staph aureus infections from that. Like oh. that's a great way to completely mess up your skin and actually give yourself scarring. Definitely don't dermaplane if you have active acne flares. And unless you're trying to get rid of those little baby hairs, maybe do another form of exfoliation. Exactly. Use the chemical exfoliants. Do it as part of an exfoliation night every fourth night as part of skin cycling. Don't do it every night. That's another great way to damage your skin. But the chemical exfoliants are much more gentle. They're much more even application. You don't want to over exfoliate and go crazy. I think Americans love to over exfoliate their skin. It looks so good right after. I think that's why because it's like this five minute period where you are that glowy baby butt face that we all are going after. You're not thinking about the long term because you're just like, oh my gosh, for a single moment, I look like a baby butt. It's so true. Everybody loves that feeling right after you exfoliate. Can you talk to me about skin cycling? What does that mean and how should we be doing it? Skin cycling is something that I started talking to my patients about in my practice about how to get the most out of their evening skincare routine. Wait, did you invent skin cycling? I did, yeah. And it went totally viral on social media. Now it has this cult following of skin cycling. I feel like you need a little like TM, like skin cycling by Dr. Whitney Bow. <laughs> right? I should do that. I'm going to tell my team that's like something we have to work on. It's taken on a life of its own, which I love. And so what skin cycling is, it started off, my patients would come in and everybody was asking questions about layering their skincare. Like, what do you put on first? The serum? When when did you do the oil? When did you do the moisturizer? Should I cleanse? Should I double cleanse? Like, what's my morning routine like, right? I said, bring in a bag of your products. Show me what you're using. And I would say like, so that's your routine in the evening. What do you do the next night? And they were like the same routine. You know, just do the same thing again. And everyone was doing the same routine. They were just adding more and more steps every night. A lot of the time that ended up with irritation, sensitive skin that was making their skin condition worse. And just like from a biological perspective, like just my background as a research scientist, understanding skin histology, how it works. It makes sense that you can push your skin outside of its comfort zone. Absolutely do that. But then you also have to build in what I call recovery nights. You have mm. to give your skin barrier a chance to recover and your skin microbiome a chance to recover. And it's the same thing when you think about Olympic athletes who are in training. They wouldn't mm. go and do the exact same heavy weight strength training leg routine every single day in the gym. You're not giving your micro tears a chance to heal and rebuild you're going to end up injuring your body, if anything, and you're not going to actually see transformative results that way. You have to cycle through your exercise routines if you want to really, maybe one day is cardio, one day is upper body, one day is lower body. And you sort of naturally build in these sort of like rest or recovery days for certain muscle groups, right? And that's how you can actually see that transformation over time. It's the same thing with your skin. And we saw that with laser treatments. There's very specific timing protocols. If somebody comes into me for Fraxel lasers, I won't do another Fraxel within two weeks of doing the first Fraxel because their skin is still recovering. They're still creating collagen. And so if I do that, then I almost trigger too much inflammation. It's not like a deliberate wound healing effect. It's like now all of a sudden I'm creating too much trauma, too much damage. There's this fine line between sort of bringing skin outside of its comfort zone and then taking a step back and really letting it recover. And the classic skin cycling routine is four nights. 
The first night is exfoliation night. So you cleanse, pat dry, use an exfoliating serum, ideally with a blend of acids, and then you put a moisturizer on top. Night two is going to be retinoid night. You cleanse, pat dry, you use your retinoid, whether that's an over-the-counter retinol or it's a retinol or you use a prescription strength retinoid, and then you put a moisturizer on top. Nights three and nights four are recovery nights. So on those nights, you're not using any potentially irritating acids, any potentially irritating retinoids. You're just thinking about nourishing, hydrating, repairing the skin barrier. So you can cleanse, pat dry. You can use a hyaluronic acid serum if you like using one of those serums. Then use a moisturizer. And then if you like using an oil, you pat that on top. And then it repeats. You're cycling through. And that's sort of like push recovery, the two days of sort of pushing your skin and the recovery. It's very deliberate. It's very strategic. It's more of a thoughtful as opposed to that like kitchen sink Mm. approach of just like, I want to use all these products and I don't know how to use them. So I'm just like throwing them all on in different steps of my skincare routine. And then you come in and your face is a mess. It's been game changing for my patients and clearly the social media world has responded beautifully to it as well. I'd love to get into some of your specific product recommendations for that in a second, but I wanted to ask, are you skin cycling in the morning as well? Are you doing the same thing every morning? Great question. So no, morning routine is consistent. So you only skin cycle at night. Your morning routine should be that you want to cleanse, then you want to use a vitamin C antioxidant serum, then you want to use a moisturizer, then you want to use a sunscreen. And then if you're going to wear makeup, you put that on top. Okay. So favorite vitamin C? Right now, the vitamin C product that I'm actively using right now is the SkinCeuticals Floritin CF. The CE Ferulic tends to break me out. I have very Mm. sensitive skin. I have dry skin, but I have acne-prone skin. And so that one's like a little bit too heavy for me. And then the Floritin CF tends to work very well. But there are some new, very exciting vitamin C derivatives that are much more stable. Like L-ascorbic acid, which is the one that's used by SkinCeuticals, is like a total diva. It's inherently unstable and it has to be formulated in a way that it's using a very low pH. Most of the time when you're using a vitamin C serum, when you're halfway through the bottle, it's completely oxidized and it's not even working anymore. So you're sort of wasting your money. Like if I could improve upon the SkinCeuticals vitamin C serums, I would put them in airless pumps so that they're not exposed to oxygen And I would put them in opaque airless pumps and I would literally cut down the size, make sure that you're like getting these little like dropper fills, like the little sample sizes that we get as dermatologists. Those are perfect for that type of vitamin C. I think that probably all the future vitamin C serums are going to be using these newer, advanced, more stable forms of vitamin C that are actually much more gentle on the skin because they don't have to be formulated at such a low pH. They don't feel like that sort of burning sensation that you can sometimes feel with vitamin C. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. When Zach and I started Healthy Convo Co., we needed to find the easiest way to get conversation cards from our warehouse onto our website and into your hands. I thought it was going to be the hardest part of starting a business, but it wound up being one of the easiest because we just used Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling gorgeous ceramics to sip morning tea from or beautiful journals to write prompts from the we're all in this together deck in, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
I know as a consumer, I'm way more likely to buy when a website has Shopify. It has all of my information saved. So checkout becomes a one-click situation, even on small business sites, which makes me so happy because I love shopping small. But it's not just small. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lizm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Liz M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Liz M. If you like saving both money and time on healthy food, you are going to love this. I've been a fan of Thrive Market forever. Fun fact, they were actually one of the first brands that I worked with when I transitioned to full-time content creation, and that happened even though I barely had an audience because I just reached out to my absolute top favorite brands and pestered them until they wanted to work with me. And I am so excited because right now, all of you amazing listeners out there can get 40% off your first order when you join Thrive Market today and a free gift worth over $50. I love Thrive Market for so many reasons, but I'd say the convenience factor is absolutely at the top of the list. You can find everything from pantry staples like spices, rice, and cacao to the more specialty items that I used to have to go to like three grocery stores to find, like arrowroot or pumpkin puree when it's out of season or an organic pasta sauce that's actually free of added sugar. They also have pasture-raised and grass-fed meat, which is shipped frozen to your door and bath and body essentials like sunscreen, toothpaste, and deodorant, so it's really one-stop shopping. Also, let's be real, most of us get a lot of the same stuff every time we go to the store. Thrive remembers that, so it's easy to add all of your personal go-to items back to your cart, and then you can browse to throw in new fun stuff to try, like avocado oil chips or dark chocolate-covered almonds. I highly recommend both of those, by the way. Also, let's talk about prices for a second. I'm not going to lie, eating healthy can be expensive. One of the best things about Thrive Market is that they guarantee the lowest prices on everything they sell. Literally, if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it. I feel like I should say that again because it's like a big deal. Literally, if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it, which means Thrive Market's prices are the lowest ones anywhere. Seriously, Browse their stuff. It's already the lowest price on so many of the products. It's the lowest price I've seen on almond flour, which I love to use in my baked goods to make them more blood sugar stable, but it can often be so pricey. Everything is carefully vetted for quality of ingredients and sourcing. Like if it's on Thrive Market, it's pretty much Liz Moody approved. And I do not say that lightly. You can also search by over 90 values, so you can quickly find the brand qualities that matter to you most, whether you're looking for certified B corporations, gluten-free or keto products, or BIPOC-owned businesses. Voting with our dollar is so important, and the fact that Thrive Market makes it so easy to put your money where your mouth is, literally, is such a huge win. Can your grocery store do that? Now it can when you go to thrivemarket.com slash healthier together. Join today to get $80 in free groceries. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash healthier together to get $80, a whopping $80, guys, in free groceries. Thrivemarket.com slash healthier together. 
Now let's get back to the episode. And your favorite moisturizer? My favorite moisturizer, I'm a bit biased. It has to be Bow Glow, which is my own moisturizer because it took me over two years to develop it. It's got a blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, squalene, ceramides, hyaluronic acid, and it's been clinically tested like crazy. Our testing protocols are some of the most advanced in the skincare industry. When I say that it hydrates the skin, I mean that I actually put it to the test and tested it with a corneometer and measured the electrical capacitance. And that actually measures hydration in the skin. When I say it repairs the skin barrier, I measured transepidermal water loss and used a two-a-meter and showed that it reduced it. I'm a total dork. When I say it rebalances the skin microbiome, like I did next generation sequencing technology using the most advanced testing protocols to actually see that it's actually making my skin microbiome more diverse and clinical photography to measure fine lines and wrinkles. Moisturizers claim to do a lot of things. And I'm such a scientist at heart. I've published over 40 peer-reviewed scientific publications and book chapters and lectured globally. I just had a whole different threshold for when I was going to make a claim, it was going to be backed by some serious science. And a lot of the claims I think people don't realize are based on other research on the individual ingredients rather than the actual formulation. Oh my gosh! You know! I thought that was an industry secret that most people don't know about. So I love that you just said that because there is something called using ingredient supplier data. And it's something that a lot of brands do. And I understand it. I get it. They basically say, say you have one ingredient in your skincare product that has been tested by the ingredient supplier to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to put that in big, bold letters on your website, on your packaging. And then in the fine print, it's like tested using as shown when we looked at one specific ingredient in this formulation. But the ingredient is not the same thing as the final formulation. Just like when you're making a recipe, when you look at one ingredient in there, if that one ingredient is going to do X, Y, and Z, it's not the same thing as the final recipe. Like yeah. you can have a really healthy ingredient in a really unhealthy recipe. And you can say like this healthy ingredient is going to help with your brain health and your gut health. And it's going to do these amazing things for your blood pressure and cholesterol. And then if you add five cups of refined sugar and you mix it with that super healthy ingredient, you can't then extrapolate that claim and say, and it's going to make your cholesterol better and your skin glow. Like, But unfortunately, like that's a lot of quote unquote science-backed skincare brands to this day still do that. And it's because it is much cheaper. I mean, the clinical studies that I did, we're talking fifty, sixty thousand dollars yeah. for studies. It's incredibly expensive. It also delays a product launch by like minimum of six months because think of like the time it takes to design the study protocol, recruit the subjects, analyze the data. Every time that you're investing in clinical studies, you're losing money as a brand. And that's just a conscious decision that I get that most brands don't make that decision and it makes sense. But Thank you for bringing that up because I feel like a lot of people don't realize that they're so focused on ingredients and the ingredients are important, but the final formulation matters so much more. And ingredients work differently together too. And I think that's important to realize as well. Like if you eat vegetables with fat, you're going to absorb the fat soluble vitamins in the vegetables better. And I feel like that's true in skincare as well. If I take my iron supplement with vitamin C, I'm going to absorb it better, but exactly. So the same thing holds true for these skincare ingredients. Like some of them work synergistically and they actually work better together. Favorite sunscreen right now? My favorite sunscreen right now is Beauty of Joshun. It's a Korean sunscreen. So Korea, they have very different filters than we have in the US. A lot of those filters are not FDA approved. 
and they're much more cosmetically elegant and they actually do a better job at protecting our skin in a lot of ways. For example, that sunscreen has been tested to look at something called a PA system, which actually looks at its protection against UVA. So Mm. in the US, if something protects against UVA, it just says broad spectrum on the label. So SPF, when you see SPF 15, SPF 30, SPF 100, SPF only has to do with UVB protection. Think B for burn, but UVA, think A for aging. UVA rays are the ones that penetrate deeper in the skin and actually break down your collagen and promote signs of aging. In a sunscreen, you want protection against UVA and UVB. In order to get that in the US, we have this test that lets us say broad spectrum. But in other countries, they'll take it one step further and they'll actually quantify just how well is it protecting against the UVA rays. And they have this system. It's like a PA plus, PA plus, plus, PA plus, 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 PA plus, 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 plus. This beauty of Joshian just crushes it in terms of both the SPF and the UVA. And it's really just a very elegant formulation and it's really not expensive either. I think it's like 10 or $12. I actually sent my daughter to camp with it today. And one of the things that I love about you is you're so science-backed, but you also believe in what you eat impacting things and safety of things. I think you kind of span the difference between like, are we doing quote unquote clean beauty for like marketing purposes or are we actually, is there research behind this? So I really want to ask you about the sunscreen question. What are your thoughts on chemical versus physical sunscreens? Is there any research to support that these chemical sunscreens are impacting either our skin or our whole body health in a negative way? Yeah, and such a great question. So time sensitive too during the summer. There are certain chemical sunscreens that are definitely controversial and for a good reason. For example, like oxybenzone, it definitely has been linked with some negative health implications. Do we know every single detail of exactly what it does? No. Sometimes we're extrapolating animal studies or lab studies or what we're seeing in basic science research, and we're trying to make the leap. But I I have to admit that the science is concerning enough that it does give me pause to recommend those products that contain those ingredients. There was that study done, it was actually done by the FDA that actually showed that oxybenzone was absorbed into the bloodstream at pretty high concentration. Just being absorbed into the bloodstream isn't necessarily a red flag. Combine the fact that it's absorbed at high levels with the fact that it potentially has these like Mm. hormonal repercussions, doing other things inside the body then to me, if you can come up with a substitution that is a reputable, like does really work and does deliver sort of substitution, then why not? Not all chemical sunscreens are evil. There's some brands that are doing an amazing job with chemical sunscreens. Like, I don't know if you've ever used Supergoop. Their products are awesome and they don't use oxybenzone. They don't use octanoxate. They use the quote unquote safer chemical sunscreens that are safer for our bodies and safer for the beaches and for marine life. And the formulations are really cosmetically elegant. If you have super deep skin tones, if you have like a Caribbean black complexion, you're trying to use a mineral sunscreen, something with zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. It is so hard to find Mm -hmm. a sunscreen that doesn't leave a cast, right? So the solution that sunscreen companies make is that they add what are called color correctors. They'll add iron oxides, they'll add pigments. Then you have to think about multiple shades because not everybody's going to be the same shade. Then it's a very huge investment on the sunscreen company's part because they aren't coming up with one skew. They're coming up with like 14 skews because they have to come up with the fair, the medium, the tan, the dark, like all the different shades. And not everything's going to be the perfect shade for everyone. Some companies are doing that well. Color Science is a brand that's doing that pretty well. L to MD has done a really good job of coming up with some tinted sunscreens that are pretty universal and blend into most skin tones. But 
I think that I have some patients who have really dark complexions and no matter what mineral sunscreen they're using, they just can't find the right shade match and they're self-conscious about it. And I don't think that the fear of using some of these other chemical sunscreens that haven't been shown to be linked with carcinogenicity or hormonal disruption, I don't think that there's a reason not to use them. I think that they should absolutely go ahead and use them with peace of mind and not stay up at night and feel like they're doing something bad to their bodies. Is there any other ingredient if we're looking at the back of our chemical sunscreen to watch out for? Oxybenzone and octanoxate are the two. I would say oxybenzone is definitely the one with the most shady reputation. Okay. And then you're exfoliating on one of your four nights at night. Do you have a favorite exfoliant right now, product-wise? It would be the SkinCeuticals Glycolic Acid 10% Overnight Renewal product. I like that one. Glycolic acid is a really interesting exfoliating ingredient because it doesn't just exfoliate. It doesn't just slough away the dead skin cells. If you get 8% or higher, it can actually build collagen over time. So it can actually Mm. help with fine lines, wrinkles, and firming the skin. I love a good glycolic acid product. Another product that I really like for people who have more like acne prone skin or combination skin, Moon Juice makes an acid potion. It's a very lightweight. It's really got a watery consistency to it. And that one, because it has a little bit of salicylic acid in it, salicylic acid is great for people with acne prone skin or oily skin because it dives into the pores. And so I recommend exfoliating products that have that ingredient. And if you have more like oily or acne prone skin. And then we're using our retinol or do you prefer prescription tretinoin? I was talking to somebody else on the podcast and they said that because prescription has to get that FDA approval, you actually know what you're getting in the tube because it's had to go through the testing to make sure the strength and the efficacy that's presented on the tube is there, which seemed like a good reason to go prescription with Tret for me. That person is 100% right. But the problem is that most of my patients can't tolerate a prescription strength retinoid. And that's okay. just the truth, even if they're skin cycling. Okay. They really are very, very hard to tolerate. I have sensitive skin and I've tried every single one you can imagine and I can't use it. I will start shedding like a snake. My skin will start stinging and burning, especially the area around the corners of my nose. I call it the snout. will start to break out little like red irritation, mm. stinging. And then I get sort of stinging, burning and cracking right around the outside area of my under eye. And are all of those things kind of signs that your skin's barrier layer is like, ah, like I don't like this. Exactly. I think that retinoids are amazing. The problem with over-the-counter products when it comes to retinoids is that some of them have no stability at all. Meaning that you're literally putting the product on and you're like, oh, I tolerate this retinoid. Amazing. It doesn't irritate my skin at all. And I'm thinking to myself like, because nothing in there is actually working. Right. But some of them do. And so some of the products do have good testing behind them. I just recently was testing this line called Medic 8. I think it's from the UK and it has an ingredient called Retinal with an AL. And that is so intriguing to me. I'm just starting to really dive into this whole body of literature because what you start off with is retinol and then it gets converted to retinol and then it gets converted to retinoic acid. Your body, your skin can use retinoic acid. What happens is, is that it's one step closer to being what your skin can use. It's quote unquote more bioavailable. I think somebody who understands the gut understands that you want ingredients to be bioavailable, right? That they're going to be much more readily absorbed and used by your body. So you can think of retinol as being more bioavailable to the skin. And so less of it ends up sitting on the surface of the skin and actually irritating the skin and more of it. So you can use these like really low concentrations and you can get these prescription-like results, even if you have sensitive skin. I just started testing out one of their products and I've been really, really impressed by it because I'm seeing results in my skin, but I'm not getting any of those like barrier issues that I would typically get with retinol. So I feel like 
for those of you who are thinking on the horizon, the most cutting edge retinoids out there in the future, probably we're going to start to see a lot more of those. And then I have the same question that I had about sunscreen, just kind of mixing that research towards being as healthy as we can with our hormones and our gut and our body. Is there any research that would make you wary about incorporating a retinol into your routine? If you're pregnant or nursing, then I would say avoid it. But quite honestly, other than that, there's no red flags. This has a mountain of evidence. I think that there's this big misconception that if something is natural, organic, that it's healthier and safer and most often than not, it just doesn't have the body of evidence and literature. People haven't studied it. So just because there's not studies doesn't mean that it's inherently safe. And it doesn't actually mean that it's good for the planet either. There's a lot of natural ingredients that are not sustainably sourced and that actually lead to deforestation and damage tons of different animal species and plant species. I think that there's this fear surrounding some retinoids. I've heard people say like, well, if it's dangerous for pregnant women, then it must be dangerous for all of us. And I'm like, how did you make that leap? We've been using this as a tried and true ingredient for decades. And it's one of the most transformative, the most effective workhorses in our skincare routine. And we haven't seen any kind of real issues with it. I think that if you use it responsibly, especially if you're using a reputable brand and not buying it on the black market or something, then 100% go for it. I fully endorse it. And then you mentioned perhaps on your recovery night, putting an oil on top of your moisturizer. You didn't seem that excited about it. You're kind of like, well, if you want to do it, you could do that. I have to ask about slugging. Would that have the same sort of occlusive effect as slugging? Do you like slugging? Everybody wanted to know your take on slugging. Okay. When it comes to slugging, slugging is using a very, very heavy occlusive ointment as the last step in your skincare routine. We're talking about something with like petrolatum, mineral oil, Vaseline. You're thinking like Aquaphor, CeraVe, Healing Balm, like these really greasy ointments, right? That's what you would be putting on to slug. Slugging is very good if you have eczema, if you have very dry skin, and if you are not acne prone. If you are acne prone and you slug, you are asking to break out. I personally don't slug. I'll put some Vaseline or some Aquaphor or some CeraVe on my lips, but I certainly wouldn't put it all over my face. Some oils are considered more emollients and some are more occlusive. So they have sort of different properties to them, but some of them can act as that sort of last step in your skincare routine. And some of them clog their pores and some of them do not. For example, coconut oil is notorious for clogging pores. You want to get acne, you can start, you know, layering coconut oil on your skin if you're prone to acne. Some people can use coconut oil and they don't have any issues, but they're not acne prone. But then there are other oils, things like grapeseed oil, jojoba oil, rosehip oil, squalane that actually are incredibly hydrating help to seal that moisture as the last step of your skincare routine and don't clog the pores and don't break you out. Again, when it comes to oils, I love plant-based oils so long as they don't have a fragrance to them. Because when you think about a lot of these like essential oils or any kind of a botanical oil that has a really nice fragrance, even though it's not a, the product can even say fragrance-free. It is basically, it's got no synthetic fragrances, but just if it smells good to you, that by itself can signify they can actually be damaging to your skin. A lot of the essential oils and botanical ingredients that have fragrances to them 
dermatologists know that those are some of the most common causes of irritation, skin reactions. And then ultimately, if you use them consistently over time, you can develop a skin allergy to them. Would we only want to reach for an oil if we're feeling like the moisturizer on its own isn't moisturizing enough in essence? Yeah. I mean, if you're say like in the middle of winter, I have a lot of patients who like to use that extra step, that that oil, they pat it on top of the moisturizer. Layering your skincare is so important. Say like for a recovery night, if you're cleansing pat dry, you can use some kind of a serum that's going to add hydration, whether that has some kind of hydrating peptides or glycerin or hyaluronic acid. And then on top of that, you can put a moisturizer. And then on top of that, if you want to add that extra step, you can pat on that oil. The two optional steps in that sort of lineup are going to be the serum and the oil. If you are not somebody who feels super dehydrated or you live in a climate that's kind of humid and you don't feel like you need the extra layers, you can just cleanse and put on a moisturizer. But if you're somebody who does struggle with dehydration and dry skin and you feel like your barrier is a little bit on the damaged side, then you might want to add those other steps. So I think oils, if they're not essential oils, if they're not fragranced, and if they're not like super occlusive, like coconut oil, then that's great. Another one that's not good for the skin is olive oil. And olive oil has actually been shown in studies to make eczema worse. It sort of damages the skin barrier. People just think like, oh, oils are going to be amazing for the skin. Not all oils are created equal. Am I afraid of oils? Not at all. I think if you just are smart about which oils you're using and you like that feeling of having that extra layer to seal in that hydration, you can absolutely go for it. If you had to pick one that was your favorite, what would you pick? Probably squalene oil. Okay. Indy Lee makes a squalene oil. It's pretty heavy doesn't clog the pores, but like on those nights when like if I'm out in like Deer Valley and my family's been skiing and I just feel like my face is like chapped and I really want to just restore that barrier, I'll layer that on top of my moisturizer. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time. A bottle came across my desk and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed and, well, I was blown away. First of all, Seed is not just a probiotic. It is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health. But prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body, your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating, having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about Seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but Seed is just stellar across the board. 
It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them and they get buried behind old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table so I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and Seed has been a vital part of that. So feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you'd like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can get 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic by going to seed.com slash daily dash symbiotic and using the code Liz Moody. Again, that's code Liz Moody on seed.com slash daily dash S-Y-N-B-I-O-T-I-C. Now let's get back to the episode. We've mentioned collagen a few times. Does consuming collagen actually do anything for skin? Does consuming it internally builds collagen? It does. And I say that as somebody who has done extensive research into this. Does it live up to all the hype and all the claims that are made out there? No, of course not. But there are absolutely very compelling studies, clinical, like placebo-controlled, randomized, one of the gold standard in terms of the types of studies that can be done, showing that ingesting collagen consistently over time can actually stimulate your own collagen production in your skin. It can increase hydration. It can help with firmness, elasticity, fine lines, and wrinkles. I think the biggest misconception is people are skeptical of that. Like They're like, wait, collagen is like this enormous triple helix. It's this huge peptide. How is that getting absorbed through your intestinal lining, like circulating through your bloodstream, somehow landing in that like nasal labial fold and plumping up your wrinkle? Like, how is that working? That's not possible. And so I think that there's a lot of skepticism surrounding it, but that's actually not how collagen works. If you really dive into the science, the way that these collagen peptides work is that they're actually being broken down into dipeptides and tripeptides, these little like strings of amino acids, which are then being absorbed through your intestinal layer going through your circulation, circulating throughout your body. Does all of it go to your skin? No. If you hurt your knee and you injured your knee, some of it's going to go to your knee. So your body sort of repurposes it and knows where to put it. But what those little tiny chains of amino acids are doing is they're acting as signaling molecules. They're acting as, it's like saying to your skin, there's been a wound. There's been damage. You need to heal. Imagine If you fell and you scraped your cheek, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I have like road rash on my cheek right now. You broke apart some of your collagen and these little tiny pieces of collagen are now in your skin and your immune cells and your other cells in your skin are like, oh my God, I see these little pieces of collagen. There's been damage. There's been a wound. We need to make more collagen to replace that collagen. So it wakes up your fibroblasts. They pump out more collagen. These little tiny peptides, it's almost like you're tricking your skin into thinking that there's been a wounding experience and your skin responds by trying to heal itself. And so it's that process that leads to your own building of your own collagen in your skin over time. I think that if you take it consistently, like obviously 
It depends on the brand and you want to make sure that it's coming from a really reputable source that's not contaminated with any heavy metals. I am more of a fan of marine collagen than I am of other forms of collagen. Marine collagen tends to be extremely expensive. Sometimes collagen has an aftertaste. Sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes it doesn't mix well with your coffee or the other. There's a lot of caveats when it comes to the collagen, but if it's a high quality source of ideally marine collagen and you're taking it consistently over time, you could absolutely see a difference in your skin. Some of the science behind collagen would put some of these other trendy skincare ingredients that everyone talks about all the time to shame. Do you have a favorite brand right now? I like the Mind Body Green Collagen. I like Ancient Nutrition Collagen. My friend, Dr. Will Cole also developed a collagen and I looked at some of the studies behind that. They look really great. I haven't personally tested it myself, but those are some of the collagens that I think are really good. Is there anything else that we can consume that you feel like would make the most difference in us having glowing skin? I would love one or two specific things we could start incorporating in our diets today. Polyphenols, obviously, which is why I chose them as the key ingredient in Bogro. Polyphenols are basically the plant-based bionutrients. They're these very powerful phytonutrients that give plants their bright, beautiful colors. So I'm always telling people, eat the rainbow. You want to try to get as many brightly colored fruits and vegetables on your plate as possible because polyphenols are not only antioxidants, they also act as prebiotics. So they actually rebalance your gut microbiome. And that's so important when it comes to skin health. But diversity is really important. So like having just one source, like if you're going to sit down to say like a salad, you really want to try to get as many bright colors on the salad as possible. If you're going to sit down to a bowl of mixed berries is healthier for you than a bowl of blueberries. In the American diet, our main source of polyphenols is coffee. Coffee, I was going to say. But if you're eating a Mediterranean diet, they're getting polyphenols in their olive oil and in their dark chocolate and in all of their fruits and vegetables and their nuts. They're getting like so many different sources. And so they're getting all the health benefits from it. That's one. And it doesn't lead to gas and bloating. When I was starting to learn about the gut microbiome and how it's linked to our overall health and our skin health, I was telling all my patients to eat sauerkraut and kombucha and kimchi and load up on prebiotic fibers like garlic, leeks, onions, and dandelion greens. And I had some patients come back to me and they're like, Dr. Bo, I love the idea of really nourishing my skin from the inside out, but I am so gassy that like my husband won't sleep in the same bed as me anymore. And my partner like won't go in the elevator with me. Or I'm afraid to go to the gym because if I'm on the treadmill next to somebody else, they're going to die. <laughs> and I get that. I think if your gut is like super inflamed, it may not be ready for, those are amazing ingredients. I'm not saying like not to try to include those in your diet, but you may need to take a very slow and steady approach. So starting with something like polyphenols to really help to dial down the inflammation, rebalance the gut microbiome, put your gut in a better place, and then slowly introducing those foods in smaller quantities over time, having some dandelion greens in a smoothie in the morning or having some asparagus, just adding a little bit of that prebiotic or some of the fermented foods over time, it'll give your gut a chance to acclimate and adjust. And you can gradually keep increasing the quantities and the diversity of those foods in your diet as well. Does drinking water actually make any sort of real visible difference in your skin? Or is that something that celebrities just tell us because they don't want to tell us about all the stuff they're actually doing? 
Yeah. Hydration is so important for every single cell in our body. We all know that intuitively. There's a couple of studies. There's not a lot of studies looking at how drinking water impacts skin health. Very little literature that's actually out there that's been really studied. And you can imagine why that is. Who's going to fund those studies, right? What we do see from those studies is that it can boost hydration in the skin, but it doesn't help with something called transepidermal water loss. If you do increase your water intake, there have been studies showing that it helped with elasticity, it can help with hydration, it can really make the skin hold onto moisture, but not trap that moisture. So transepidermal water loss really represents how healthy your skin barrier is. Say you're drinking tons of water, but then that water is evaporating out of your skin. It's not really contributing to your skin health. That's where you need to take that inside out and outside in approach to the skin, where you need to also use a moisturizer that's going to actually have a complicated group of ingredients, including humectants, emollients, occlusives that are actually going to trap and seal that moisture in the skin. So you do want to hydrate. Absolutely. Whether there's science behind it, and I know that there aren't that many studies, but doctors don't need studies to tell you that, you know, when your patients are dehydrated, like it shows up in their skin. Like all you have to do is travel to Vail or be on an airplane for a long period of time. And you wake up and you see all the fine lines and wrinkles and your skin looks like crap. So you, you know that you need to hydrate and you know that if you're not drinking enough water or if you're in an environment that's not humid enough and is really dry, like you'll see that in your skin. You definitely need to hydrate from the inside out, but you need to then absolutely treat the skin from the outside in using a really good moisturizer as well. It's that two-pronged approach. Are there any other lifestyle habits that you love for glowing skin? I knew a woman once who said that meditation was the secret to glowing skin for her because it lowered her cortisol levels and she felt like that showed up in her skin. I'd be curious if there's any other weird little lifestyle things that are really effective. We know that circadian health is so important when it comes to your skin. Trying to mimic the sleep-wake cycles that we used to have, that our ancestors used to have, they really mm -hmm. did follow the sun. They would wake up with the sun. And when I wake up in the morning, I go outside and I will look at the sky. I don't look directly at the sun, but I want blue light to enter my eye because it actually shuts down my brain's production of melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. And it will set me up to be much more energized during the day. I'll actually end up sleeping better at night. I want to set my circadian clock first thing in the morning. And the same holds true for when I eat at night. I really try to not have a heavy meal or snack right before bed because that signals to your brain like, hey, it's time to wake up. And again, shuts down that melatonin production. And I try to block blue light from my eyes in the evening as well. Whoever said meditation is important was completely onto something. When you meditate, it creates this alpha wave state in the brain that's incredibly calming, helps with focus, but it dials down your cortisol levels, not just in the moment, but it can be really pervasive. It can really be long lasting, especially if you make that part of a daily practice. I think it's very intimidating for people when you say meditate, because it's like, oh my God, meditating, like I'm not good at it. I suck at it, right? You actually don't have to meditate to get those benefits. It's actually beautiful science out of Harvard showing there's the, something called the relaxation response just by focusing on your breathing, like just by being mindful of your breathing, you can actually tap into that relaxation response and stop emotional and psychological stress from being translated into physical inflammation in the skin. For me, I love yoga. If I'm doing a yoga fast, like I focus on my breathing during yoga. For me, that's meditating. If I go for a run or something and then I'm stretching, if I just turn off all the noise. I don't have my phone. I don't have the screen on. And I'm just sitting there stretching and taking very deep breaths. 
that helps me. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, what did I pack for tomorrow? Did I remember my daughter's lunch? What are the other 20,000 things I have to do for the brand that I forgot to do today? I will breathe and I will breathe in for four beats, hold it for four beats, exhale for four beats, hold it for four beats. And just within like two cycles of doing that breath work, I'll feel my heart rate drop. I'll feel myself calm down and I'm able to go back to sleep. Whether you're truly meditating and like have actually like taken the courses, like know how to tap into that state, or if you're just even coming close and doing something that gives you a chance to just be mindful and be in the moment and just focus on your breathing, it can actually have very, very strong impacts on your entire body, your immune health and your skin health for sure. I love that. Are face masks and facials ever doing something or are they more just a self-care moment that's lovely to have? Face masks, unfortunately, most of them are single-use products like the hydrating sheet masks from Korea. So just from a sustainability standpoint, I'm not like a huge fan. Like anytime you use a product and you throw it away, I can't endorse that. What if it's coming in like a little pot? That I like. If it's a multi-use product then actually some face masks can be really great. And they're basically just richer creams. Some of them are meant for hydration and then some of them have other benefits. For example, clay, if you have oily skin and you want to help with the oil balance and really sort of get into the pores, like there's other aspects of masks that can be beneficial. When it comes to facials, so some facials are more beneficial than others. The act of a facial massage can feel amazing and can be incredibly relaxing and it can help dial down your cortisol levels. It can also stimulate circulation in the skin. It can help with lymphatic drainage. Our face, it's so funny because like when I talk to my like ENT surgeon colleagues and I'm like, our face, our facial lymphatics, we need to do our massage. And they're like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding? Our lymphatic drainage in our face is really robust. It is amazing. I have head and neck surgeon colleagues who are like, we take out like tumors and literally cut half of the lymphatic drainage in the face. And there's no negative side effects because there's so much extra lymphatic drainage in your face. I think that it's a little bit hype when it comes to lymphatic drainage in the face. But the one thing that I do see it making a real big difference for is people have under eye bags. If you tend to accumulate fluid underneath your eyes, and then you do use sort of a lateral sweeping motion, whether that's with a jade roller, with a massage, with a cold spoon, like whatever it is, if you do that in the morning, it really can help sort of mobilize that fluid and help it to drain so that you don't look so puffy in the morning. Would that apply to the ice rollers or the facial massage tools too? If you have this under eye issue, maybe go for it. But other than that, maybe not worth the hype. Yeah. When it comes to jade rolling, I think that really the best area for it is going to be that under eye area. When it comes to using gua sha, gua sha is a little bit more of a deep, aggressive tool. And if you're on TikTok, it looks like it's literally sculpting your entire jawline. It's like you got a facelift. That is a temporary effect. <laughs> so no, it's not going to like literally reshape your entire jawline and give you like an Angelina Jolie jawline, but it can feel good. If it feels like a ritual and it feels like it's a form of self-care and it feels like an indulgent moment for you, like that in itself can be beneficial for your skin. It can help dial down your stress and help with your skin. Do I think that these things are game changing and doing anything super transformative and you absolutely need them as part of your routine? No, but can they feel good and can they help a little bit, especially with certain circumstances? Yeah. I've read that sunless tanner can cause long-term damage, even though it's doing something with your DNA and then that's reacting in some type of way. Do you think that sunless tanner is causing any long-term negative effect on our skin? 
Okay. First of all, in comparison to nasal tanning sprays that are going viral on TikTok with melanocortin one and two that are literally one of the most dangerous chemicals ever, sunless tanners are definitely safer than that. Are they safer than sitting out in the sun or going to a tanning bed? 100%. When you put on a self-tanner and then you go out in the sun, are they potentially creating a little bit more oxidative stress, a little bit more free radical damage? Potentially, yes. If you use a self-tanner and then you also use sunscreen, you're fine. Sometimes there's like a little basic science study that comes out and it's like, oh my God, antioxidants are bad for you because you need free radical damage to heal you. Like you sort of get this little snippet of information in this one context. And then somebody will try to extrapolate it into more of a, this is something that everyone should be worried about. And in that case, is there potentially like a small theoretical risk? Would I say use self-tanners all year long throughout the year and go in the sun without any kind of protection? Absolutely not. But everything's weighing the risks and benefits. And if you're somebody who likes to have a healthy looking glow, that's probably one of the safest options available. Just make sure that you're wearing sunscreen. Yeah, I just wonder about it because I kind of like to have that fake tan look, but I don't care enough to potentially cause long-term damage. I'm right on the edge and trying to decide whether it's worth it to me. Yeah. And I think that that's fair that at these early stages, when we have like a little bit of the science that sort of is suggestive, if you're sort of on the fence and not sure, then I would use in moderation. If you have an event coming up, if you have a wedding coming up, if you have an event that you're like, I really want to look great for this vacation or whatever it is, go for it. But maybe instead of using it just like every single week throughout the summer, maybe you dial down a little bit, just knowing that, okay, it's not completely risk-free. That makes sense. Are washcloths causing overexfoliation or damaging our skin barrier layer at all? Yes, definitely. But when I wash my face with my hands, the water gets everywhere and it's just like a disaster in my bathroom. Okay. We just have to have like a wash your face lesson together. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's a you problem, Liz. <laughs> no, no, no. It is sort of convenient. It's also like really nice to sort of see the day come off yes. on your washcloth. Like sometimes you're like, I don't know if the cleanser's getting it all off. And then you use the washcloth. You're like, oh, look, I'm so glad I did that because now I see like a little makeup or a little something like on my washcloth. I'm glad I took that extra step. Unfortunately, especially if it's something that you're doing every single day, even those gentle washcloths, the ones that are like baby washcloths are the best version, but anything that you're rubbing against your skin like that on a regular basis, it is a form of physical exfoliation. Which you'd prefer to chemical exfoliation. Yeah. Over time, it's going to, especially for people who have sensitive skin. If you're somebody who has like oily skin, normal skin, you might be able to actually use like a washcloth every single day, no problem. But if you're somebody who is struggling with some sensitive skin, or if you have a little bit of acne, or you have a little bit of rosacea or eczema or something that you're like, I'm not sure if my skin barrier is 100% healthy and intact. If you actually take that step out, you'll probably see a benefit in your skin. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments, and research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. 
I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valleys. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Paleo Valley has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore. Vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health and a neuro-effect mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus. So definitely explore their website. If you'd like to check out the turmeric complex, the vitamin C, the neuro effect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, head over to paleovalley.com and use the code LizM for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code LizM for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now, let's get back to the episode. So how are you washing your face then? Because I've also heard we're not supposed to wash our face in the shower because that water is too hot, which can irritate our skin. Is that true? Are you washing your face at the sink? How are you washing your face? I'll wash my face when I'm in the shower. I shower in the morning and I wash my makeup off in the evening and I just do it by the sink. And when I'm in the shower, I don't use scalding hot water. So I try to turn it down a little bit. Very hot water is not great for the skin. The skin likes sort of moderate temperatures. It doesn't love very cold and it doesn't love very hot, actually. And that's actually something based on the skin microbiome. It doesn't like extremes. It likes more of the moderate temperate water. So you're literally just splashing your face like you're in a Neutrogena commercial? So if I'm doing a single cleanse using a water-based, gentle, pH-balanced cleanser that's not alkaline or basic, it's more of a neutral, slightly acidic pH cleanser. And what I do is first I wet my face, I damp my face, and I have my hair back. And what I'll do is I'll lean forward, I'll close my eyes, I'll have a towel by my side, and I'll just splash my face with the water. I'll reach over with my eyes closed and I'll pump my cleanser into my hand and then I'll massage it into my face and then I'll rinse it off with the water. And then I go to my towel and I pat dry. I don't rub it because I don't want to rub the towel against my skin. That's a single cleanse. Most of the time I'm doing a single cleanse. If I'm wearing like water resistant sunscreen or heavy makeup, like say I did like a Good Morning America segment that morning and I'm wearing that like super heavy, like matte makeup, or I'm wearing that sunscreen that like really is sticking to my skin, then I need to double cleanse. When I double cleanse, I'll use either micellar water or a pre-cleansing balm. And what I do is I put that on dry skin. I actually massage that balm into my face first, and then I splash my face with water. I get it wet. And then I also have that pump by my, that water-based cleanser as a second step. So that's the double cleanse, which is a deeper cleanse. And the deeper cleanse is a little bit more stripping. I wouldn't double cleanse every single day especially if you have dry skin or sensitive skin, I would try to go with a single cleanse. Like in the morning, what are you washing off? You're just washing off the skincare you put on your face the night before. Like hopefully you wash your makeup off the night before. So you don't need to double cleanse in the morning. And depending on how much makeup and how much sunscreen you wear every day, then you may not need to need to do a double cleanse most nights. And then you said your skin doesn't like too hot or too cold. 
I'm like, are those ice rollers that are really popular right now disrupting your skin microbiome? Potentially disrupting the skin microbiome a little bit, yes, but they also have some benefits in that they can be sort of anti-inflammatory. We know that if you get like a burn, if you have a curling iron and you accidentally put it against your skin, or if you're cooking and you get a burn from the oven, you know, one of the first things we recommend doing is putting ice on it. So ice has an anti-inflammatory effect, but it can also be a little bit damaging to the skin. Like if you put the ice directly on the skin and you leave it on for too long, Mm. you can actually damage the tissue. And you can potentially damage the skin microbiome if it's something you're doing very regularly over time. If you have like red inflamed skin, if there's some damage or trauma that's been done to the skin, using ice can temporarily sort of be soothing, but you want to move that ice around. You don't want to like leave it in one spot for too long. For most people, if you're not dealing with an acute sort of burn or some kind of an issue where your face is like super inflamed, I don't think that it's a necessary or recommended part of a skincare routine. Good to know. Are there any other myths around skincare or beauty that you'd like to bust? I think that that squeaky clean feeling is something that I want to get everybody away from. Like you want to sanitize your kitchen counter, but you don't want to like sanitize your face. You don't want to feel like that squeaky clean feeling. I think that, you know, we are sort of obsessed with hygiene in America. We love to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving like a molecule of dirt on my face. I'm going to die at night. Sometimes you actually do more harm than good when you try to over cleanse. When you cleanse, your skin should feel comfortable afterwards. It shouldn't feel tight. It shouldn't feel squeaky clean. It shouldn't feel dry. That's probably the biggest mistake that I see when it comes to people's skincare routine. One change that I can make, if somebody's skin is just acting up and we just can't get to the root of it and they bring in all their products, it's usually the cleanser that's doing the most damage. Like I wouldn't invest a lot of money in a cleanser. A cleanser is not going to deliver these amazing benefits. Like all this amazing hyaluronic acid cleanser that's going to like hydrate and make my skin dewy and plump. And it's also going to deliver all these age-related benefits and plump up my collagen. And like, don't spend so much money on a cleanser. It's on your skin for 30 seconds. Like how is it doing all of this? It can do harm but it's not going to like transform your skin for the better. You almost want to like find the one that's going to do the least harm. And for you, that is? I love the La Roche-Posay Tolarian Barrier Repair Dental Cleanser. I like the Cetaphil and CeraVe cleansers in general. Those are good as well. Youth to the People makes like a kale green cleanser. It's actually a pretty good cleanser. There was one by Versed. It's got like a funky smell, but I kind of like it in a weird way. I think it's got probiotics and oat or something. It's almost like a brown color, but it's like a super creamy texture. It's great for a single cleanse. Adding probiotics topically, you're like the microbiome queen. Does that actually, the skincare that says it has probiotics in it, is that helping our microbiome of our skin or is that marketing? Yeah, most products that say that they have probiotics in them just really don't even, either they're marketing it and they're sort of telling the lie deliberately or they don't even know that they don't have probiotics in their skincare because, you know, most skincare, if it's going to be an emulsion, so if the skincare has any water in it, meaning if it's a cleanser, if it's a serum, if it's a moisturizer, it's also going to have a preservative in it because if there's water in that emulsion, then it's at risk of being contaminated with something like Pseudomonas or Staph aureus or other types of like harmful microbes. So we have to add preservatives. Preservatives are a necessary evil. The problem is that the preservatives we have access to today, 
they can't tell the difference between like the good bugs and the bad bugs. While they're trying to protect you from getting pseudomonas in your eye cream, they're also going to be killing off the probiotics that you put in that formulation, right? There's class action lawsuits surrounding this with like brands that claim to have probiotics in them and they just clearly don't. I think that there is going to be a huge advance in terms of nomenclature and understanding the words. Specifically in my skincare products, I said, we have prebiotics, we have postbiotics. I think that there's a learning curve and I talk about them and I educate a lot on my website and really try to explain like what the differences are. And I think there's still a role for probiotics in terms of dietary supplements, but when it comes to skincare, I think probiotic skincare is totally overrated. Can you just leave us with one homework assignment, something that we can stop listening to this podcast and start doing today to get glowy skin? If you want to have glowing, beautiful skin... You have to not just think about layering your skincare. You have to think about cycling through it. If you're using the exact same products every single night, you have to rethink your skincare routine. I love that. And I love that we already did a deep dive into skin cycling. If you're like, okay, I've got my homework assignment, just rewind back of the episode and you can get the exact details of your skin <laughs> cycling. Okay. You have so much going on. I'd love to hear in your own words a little bit about your line, about everything else that you have going on and you have information on your website. Tell us all the details. Absolutely. So we launched Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty, and it's a three-dimensional approach to skin health. As a research scientist and a dermatologist, I literally took all those thousands of data points and I put them into the bottles and I created products that treat the skin from the inside out and the outside in synergistically, meaning that when you use them together, they actually drive results in the skin. And we actually put that to the test using some of the most advanced clinical testing protocols in the beauty industry today to show that they really do deliver. So I launched with Bow Glow, which is a nourishing cream that you use twice a day and Bow Grow, which is this microbiome balancing elixir that you add to your water and you sip on it every day. And when you use those two products together over time, it helps with fine lines, wrinkles, texture, brown spots, repairs the skin barrier, and actually rebalances the skin microbiome and increases diversity in the skin microbiome. And that was extensively testing using next generation sequencing technology and all of the most robust objective clinical measurements and tests that any dorky scientist like myself can actually do. The product launch has been incredibly successful. We keep selling out of the bundles. So the concept of the people keep buying them together, that inside out approach, that's by far our top seller. It just means to me that that concept is resonating with yeah. people, that they're ready. They're ready for that information. And so we had this fun powwow with my team this morning, second time now that we're going back to our distribution center and our, our people who are shipping and packing the products. And we're trying to figure out how to keep up with the demand for the bundle. To me, that is just validation of that concept. And now on my website, I have something called Derm Scribbles, which are these just like honest blogs where I'm pulling back the curtains, like talking to people about stuff that other people just in the skincare and beauty world just aren't really talking about. And I think that the consumer deserves to know. And we have DWB Skindex, which is where I literally just talk through every single ingredient in my products because I think that people have a right to know, like, what's in the bottle? Yeah. Where is it coming from? What is it doing? I think education and transparency is the future. I think that everybody wants to know now. They want to know the truth and they see through the marketing BS. That's something I deeply care about. And I hope to be able to you know, continue to really empower people through education exactly the way you're doing on this podcast. I will also add that the bow grow tastes delicious. I was telling you before we hopped on the podcast, but it has a really yummy flavor. I love the benefits of it, but I also like that it just makes me want to drink my water so then I can hydrate throughout the day, which is hard to do. Water's 
boring, you know? Water is boring. It just, it is. It just, it's hard to motivate to keep drinking the water. If that gives you one more reason to get down that glass of water, then absolutely <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to go and reanalyze my skincare routine and start skin cycling, which I'm very, very excited about. Thank you so much for taking the time to share all of your wisdom with us today. There was so much good info in here and so many things that I was really surprised by your answer by. So I love that. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Wow, how fascinating were all of Dr. Bo's skincare tips. I literally stopped using washcloths after recording this, so I'm now washing my face like I'm in a Neutrogena ad. I've also been skin cycling since we recorded, and I am loving the results. I'm using the Chemist Confessions Gold Standard Exfoliator, Dr. Bo's Bow Glow Moisturizer, SkinCeutical CE Ferulic, and a prescription tretinoin from my dermatologist, if you are wondering. Speaking of, if you would like to get your hands on Dr. Bo's amazing Bow Glow Microbiome Nourishing Cream and her Bow Grow Pomegranate Microbiome Water Enhancing Elixir, you are in luck. Dr. Bo has kindly agreed to give three winners a bundle with both products. To enter, just make sure that you're following at Liz Moody and at Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty on Instagram. Then comment on my most recent post, what you loved or learned in this episode. The post doesn't have to be about the episode. Just mention Whitney so that I know that you're entering. If you are new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including a healthy eating secrets with two of your favorite food influencers and an episode all about herbs and holistic healing and how to get great hair. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you do not miss out on anything. Okay, I love you and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. I have a product that is going to change your life. I've recommended this to so many people and they are all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask and it feels like heaven. And you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the black clay facial soap and the purely simple face cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. 
Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at OSMIA skincare.com. 